didn't violate any YouTube policies. I don't care! Because our guests, Stefan Molyneux and Dr. Jordan Peterson, ain't got nothing on me. Ow. Except a lot. And accomplishments and things that they've done. So and they can speak more than three paragraphs. Yeah, exactly, without coughing up blood. So they've, they've accomplished a lot more than we have. <laughs> Stefan Molyneux, we have Dr. Jordan Peterson on, and uh, we, we got lucky we have uh, former Mayor Rudolph Giuliani on. Yeah. Wow. Yeah, what to talk about the recent heads? scandal. So... You know, last minute, and uh, I'm still suffering from bronchitis. Everyone cover for me. Uh, covering, <laughs> covering, intelligent thoughts. Covering. All right. Good job, Jared. Uh, and uh, we'll be talking also a lot about uh, about this recent poll that's come out, Reuters Ipsos. I know there's been some controversy about, yeah. statistically, millennials becoming more conservative, and of course, of, uh, you know, trannies, Boy Scouts, Girl Scouts, the whole shebang. Uh, producing with me in video studio, as always, is Jared, who is not gay. Follow him on Twitter at not gay. Jared, me, Des Crowder, with your comments, your thoughts, your photoshops. We enjoy them. Not really. I fulfill my legal obligations, drawing conclusions. Are we good? Ask me. We have Gerald. Morgan at G Morgan Jr. How are you, sir? I'm excellent. How are you? What's the wine of the day? Wine of the day is Pierre Morlet. You, know, you don't need to ask me how I am. You can just go into the wine of the day. Well, it's expected of you. But you asked me how I was, so it's like, you know, I got to do it. Dance for us. Like back. No, no. What's the wine of the day? No. <laughs> Pierre Morlet Champagne. Pierre Morlet Champagne. Sounds to me like you need to get Morlet. So, uh, Sven Computer, ready with the overlays? Yeah, I'm ready. Beep, beep. Yeah? I'm very Feeling ready. good? Yeah. Good. Yeah. Oh. <laughs> Damn it. <laughs> Elon Musk was right about artificial intelligence. Good on you, Sven Computer. Good on you. <laughs> Wait. Did Elon Musk make it into our studio to prove a point? Uh. Elon? <laughs> That's Mr. Musk. Oh, uh, question of the day. Listen, we talked about the Boy Scouts this week. Uh, we'll be talking about the Reuters poll, like we said. Here's, here's a genuine question for you. How do you see the future uh, on these scales? Are you more optimistic? Do you see a silver lining as you see younger people sort of rejecting the progressive left? Or when you look at Boy Scouts, Girl Scouts, and you see feminism, and you see progressivism in charge in administrations and schools and media, do you see us entering uncharted waters kind of in the social experiment? I go back and forth on that. Comment, let me know what you think. I, I like to be optimistic, but, you know. Probably not going to happen. You got chicks with dicks and Boy Scouts, so it's tough. <laughs> um, in other news, before we get there, a British man is now in court for having a potato peeler in a public place. Yeah. <laughs> the man admitted that on Saturday in Appen Crescent, a public space, he was po in possession of an object which had a blade or was sharply pointed, namely a potato peeler. That's the actual story. <laughs> oh this is why we left Europe. <laughs> exactly. This is precisely. Now, many, of course, they've used this story to point out the futility in gun and knife control. Well, you actually have some others who've been calling for even stricter regulations, with New York's The Dead Rabbits decrying Britain as cultural appropriating pricks. <laughs> <laughs> I hated that movie. That was born from our famine. <laughs> you don't get to use it publicly. Use a knife like a good Brit. 
I was so jealous of Liam Neeson the whole movie. I'm like, that poor, that lucky bastard got to die in the first five minutes. Yeah, I know. I know. You're yeah. stuck with the whole film. Fortunately, he had to stick it through the entire first Phantom, the Phantom Menace. So, yes. yeah. By the way, to the guy who left in the comment section, Crowder is a Sith. Only a Sith deals in absolutes. Really, Mr. Quoting the worst film and the worst franchise <laughs> in the YouTube comment section? Not exactly Freud. Some, people, some people think that's a strong quote. Sometimes people, I've had people in real life go, only a Sith deals in the absolutes. Were you were you trying to that entirely quote. discredit everything you say for the rest of this evening? That quote you said, it's, it's not a thing. No, it's not it a thing. It will never be a thing. Absolutely. Also, terrible. I believe in midi-chlorians. Oh, wow, you do. Okay, I'm going to avoid this general area tonight at this party. Uh, so Rudy Giuliani, former mayor, has come out and said that He's gotten in some hot water. He said that Trump reimbursed his lawyer for $130,000 payment to adult film star Stormy Daniels, and he's been getting flack. There's some nuance there, but this is what's gotten him in trouble. I believe that's I, what He didn't Michael know about said. the specifics of it, as far as I know. But he did know about the general arrangement that Michael would take care of things like this, like I take care of things like this. He doesn't seem to hear how that hears. <laughs> so he pays porn stars too? I, yeah, I don't know. <laughs> Is that what's going on? I, Rudy, Rudy, you hear all the things we just heard? I, you know, <laughs> well, no, Steve. Now, here's the thing. It, it, there isn't a whole lot there if you're actually looking at sort of revelations. Uh, it could be a lawyer retainer. Donald Trump didn't necessarily know it was going to Stormy Daniels. But that's obviously a very controversial statement. And I'm happy to announce, I, I think we have them, that we have former mayor Rudy Giuliani here uh, in an exclusive to clarify his remarks. Uh, former mayor, are you here, sir? Thank hey, you. Absolutely, Stephen. Th thanks for having me. Well, good. So just to clarify, now, uh, you're saying that President Trump did, in fact, reimburse Mr. Cohen. Y yes, Stephen, uh, on that, there is no doubt. And he, he knew it was hush money for Ms. Daniels? Uh, it's very important that I, I'm not misconstrued, Stephen. I, I don't like the word hush money, it, especially when referring to a fine young woman like Ms. Daniels. Okay, right, but it's, it seems like you're, you could be admitting something pretty severe. No, 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 no Stephen, this, this was standard reimbursement, and, and our president will be cleared of any wrongdoing. Trust me. I don't trust. I'm trust not sure. I don't. I, it's reimbursement to a porn star doesn't seem standard at all, Mr. Giuliani. C completely standard, Stephen. And, and what I don't appreciate, uh, in particular, is you running Miss Daniels' good name through the mud, along with the rest of, of mainstream media. Mainstream media? And, uh, Stormy, uh, if you're watching, I'd like to offer my own legal services to assist in preserving your reputation. Okay, all right, but, but Mayor, that still doesn't answer the question. Did President Trump know this money was no, going no, to a mistress? To, to a mistress. Mistress, Stephen. Such a loaded word for such a wonderful woman. I, I'd expect better from you, Stephen. And frankly, Stormy deserves better. Okay, let's try this another way. Did President Trump have the affair in the first place? Yeah. I, I certainly hope so. What? I mean, it, it, let's make sure that I'm not taken out of context, Stephen. Uh, any man would consider himself Lucky to be with Miss Stormy Daniels. Not necessarily. She's an, an angel from heaven was a, a figure from God. I mean, a little tight, sure, but still, by all measurements, a, a, a fine piece of ass. You know, I feel like this is actually, this is getting very inappropriate. No, 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 yeah, I'm sorry to hear about that. So? So, could you give me Stormy's number? All right, former yeah, Mayor, 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 Mayor Giuliani, ladies and gentlemen. I, 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 no, that's enough. That's enough. That's enough of Mr. Giuliani. No, no more. He's out. He's desperate. Oh, gosh, the guy needs to have some handlers. So, hey, Huffington Post released an article this week on a graphic novel about a dog that, quote, tells a groundbreaking story of trans sex work. <laughs> Thanks, HuffPo, for never allowing us to run out of content. Quote, the pervert 
that's the title, is working title, is a comic about a Seattle-based trans woman struggling as a sex worker to make enough money for hormones and gender confirmation surgery, <laughs> written by Michelle Perez and illustrated by Remy Boydell, both trans women. I don't even know how to unpack this. The comic <laughs> offers a humanizing portrait brimming with wit and melancholy. Uh, yeah. Insightful. Disney's already secured the rights with Airbud 24. It's a hate crime to say no if you've already paid. <laughs> Ain't nothing in the rule books that says dogs can't be tranny sex whores. <laughs> if you're going to pick an, an animal to forward your agenda, don't pick the one that already eats and humps everything it sees. Yes. Yeah. Everything and anything. <laughs> yes. It's a bad starting support. Transgenders are not, they have no impulse control, and they're <laughs> meant to be sex workers. Your move. <laughs> Next. Well, we don't even have to do anything. Like You're making our job too easy. Speaking of moves, a British company is now turning food waste into beer. Oh, so yeah, this company, Toast Ale, actually takes old stale bread from bakeries, two, three-day-old bread, along with other waste, to instead turn into beer. So sleep with the one I open, Bud Light Lime. <laughs> Coming after you. And they actually, and I, what I found funny about this article is, is it, it, they, they said beer is a really fun medium to engage people on what is globally a very important problem. Yeah, so beer is not the forefront of social justice. It's the first in their new line of woke beer, including Stout Lives Matter. Uh, then we've got Planned Porterhood. <laughs> Pabst Blue-Haired Lesbian. I don't, that's going for a little niche. And um, I don't know if we should do this. The newest added to the fold, David Hogfish Head 90-Minute IP Gay. <laughs> <laughs> and, yeah, if he's already called for a boycott. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> And viewers are up 20-fold. Good. Yeah, good. Good. You should boycott them. There's no beer named after me saying I'm gay. Free. <laughs> Sparkle. Breakfast club. All right. Armband. Uh, New York City veterinarian also has been accused of smuggling heroin in dogs. This comes from ABC7. The right. veteran pleaded not guilty. Veteran. Veterinarian pleaded not guilty on Tuesday to U.S. charges that he implanted liquid heroin and dogs to turn them into drug mules for a Colombian drug trafficking ring. Uh, an absolute shame, obviously. It's, there's no real... Stories like this are, are terrible. There's no way to... Especially since Disney's already capitalized with Airbud 28. Keep your pimp paw strong. <laughs> it's a great time to be a dog. Retrieving ain't easy. Retrieving ain't easy. This is why it's not fair to compare violent crimes across different countries because in Korea, for instance, a dog with a do not consume sticker is a dead giveaway. Yes. <laughs> It's very difficult. <laughs> oh, and the dog, but the dog has a no, 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 sign, not legally, not legally binding. I love this dog. I love this dog. He would never make it in China. No, I don't think any one of us here would make. For it no reason, for no other reason, because I can't fake the accent for more than about a phrase. Yeah, I don't know. That was like that, that was, was like really uh, that was like the little the little uh, the little Mexican uh, flies in I'm Bud's mad at life me too. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Good time, Lee Jones, though. Very proud of you on that. So, very all right. Oh, there you go. Let's talk about this. Uh, this is something that actually there's a silver lining. What we're talking about, the Boy Scouts, we're talking about these social experiments going on. Um, a recent Reuters Ipsos poll showed that Democrats are actually losing ground with millennials. Now, uh, a couple of things here. I know some people have tried to say it's not valid because this includes registered voters as opposed to just likely voters. Oh, geez. Okay, this is, this, this is valid. And this is especially bad news for leftists because in general, people become more conservative as they get older. We'll talk about that. Now, if millennials are already becoming more conservative when they are younger, they're only going to swing even further as they age. That's a problem. In the past, the left has consistently 
tried to sort of run with a narrative that conservative voters tend to be, and it's, and it's correct, mm -hmm. and use that as evidence that conservatives are dying out. Yeah. How, how often have you guys heard this? Every single time. They always say that the Fox News crowd is about to die because <laughs> they always advertise for gold and retirement stuff. But that is true. Right. That is true about oh, that the Fox News crowd is dying. It doesn't necessarily well, mean conservatives <laughs> are dying. True. They are buying Wilford Brimley reverse mortgages. That's true. Yeah. It's a hot ticket item. Yeah. <laughs> right there next to your walk-in baths. Yes. Or self-lubricating catheters. Those things are hot, man. They are absolutely. <laughs> Get them while they're hot. Especially if you have to reinsert them. There's a lot of They're not that self-lubricating. Well, <laughs> Friction is still a component. Improvements taken can into be account. Made. The thing is, it's a, it's a cycle, right? And as people get older, they become more conservative. They die younger. People become more conservative. So we've been told this for a long time that oh, this is going to be the last. Baby boomers were the most left generation there had ever been yeah. at that point, and now they're amongst the most conservative. Um, certainly split depending on the polls that you look at. Now, as the Reuters poll it shows millennials are actually far more conservative than they were just two years ago. Yeah. Wow. That's such a big shift. And I think people like Peterson and Molyneux and Gadsad and, and, and Ben Shapiro and, and hopefully we include ourselves among their changing people's minds um, have played a part in that. So in 2016, young white men, particularly, they favored Democrats 46 or 48, I think. Yeah, 48. Yeah, 48 to 36. In two years, that's basically flip-flopped. That's insane. That's, that's a huge yeah. number. And again, it's true that older people tend to be more conservative. Yeah, um, and you would never hear that from mainstream media stuff. Right now, you would think that it's absolutely the opposite based on everything you hear on CNN and MSNBC or even Salon and HuffPo. Right. Absolutely. Well, no, they're, they're right. Young, young people tend to lean more left and old people tend to lean more conservative, but they don't talk about the, the flip happening. Right. No. Yeah. Um, and that's like we're talking about. That is true. And it's well observed that older people are more conservative. There's a litany of reasons. I mean, you know, young people, less developed brains. To start off with, uh, conservatism, of course, it's also conservatives. Uh, they correlate with higher self-esteem, which is seen in older people, which would make sense, given that self-esteem used to be a, con a novel concept earned through accomplishment. <laughs> what are those? You can't fake self-esteem. The stats don't reflect Fakery. You may not use a red pen. You may give them all the same gold sticker, but guess what? That kid doesn't actually have self-esteem. People with self-esteem tend to be older. They tend to be more conservative. Uh, people become more conservative as they have families of their own. Yep. Absolutely. Yeah. Slade even wrote about this. People become more conservative as they accrue more wealth. Also no one. Selfish. What was there? Also less selfish because you, when you have families. Yeah, when you have to think you about have to something think else. Yeah. You have to think uh, everything differently. Well, they basically become more conservative when they actually have to work for a living. Well, yes. <laughs> there's, there's more to it than that, but basically kids start, college students start off less. And then life happens. Right? Yeah, yeah. And then they become college, increasingly conservative across generations. College kids yeah. tend to live in, in a world of naivety and live in the world as they wish it were, yeah. not as it is. And when you get older, you have you realize, oh, I guess I should probably live in the world as it is. Yeah. Well, right. I, Start accepting those things. It's kind of you kind of expect it though. You're living off mom and dad's dime for a long time. It's kind of socialism, right? You just get given the things you need. Then you go to college where you still have the freedom. You get room and board. You get all your food most of the time, unless you're right. working for it. And life is like, well, why can't everybody be taken care of? I'm being taken care of. It's working. And then taxes and then, happen. And then, <laughs> well, and then you get your first paycheck, and you're like, who the well, hell that's is why the it, Treasury? That's why I think that socialism really appeals to, to young people, because it's, yeah. it's, it's the idea of, oh, if I, if I had all the money, if I were running things, I'd do A, B, and C. This, I'd do this, and I'd do that, and I'd give them a little bit of that, and everything would be perfect. And all, I think of every college student going, yeah. if I were running things, the world would work <laughs> this way. Well, guess what? Even with this show, I am running things. And I never get to do this, 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 and that because crap happens. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So when you see younger people now without life spanking them on the ass, teaching them to become more conservative, they're becoming conservative before that phase. That's pretty crazy. We think of conservatives as curmudgeons or sticks in the mud. Some of them are. But, uh, you know, if you, if you look at this trajectory, the transition from, from sort of young liberal to older conservative leads one to an undeniable and repeatedly observable fact, which is why I think that people across the board could at least see a silver lining in this. Yeah. Conservatives in general are happier. We are. Hmm.
People who are conservative, religious in particular, are happier than leftists and those who are non-religious. Which stands to reason. Think about this for a second. And this is why we always talk about with change my mind, the difference between a debate and a change my mind. The goal is you can't change everyone's mind. Right. But the goal is to plant the seed to get people to think critically because somewhere down the path, that why question has been planted. And then as they continue to question it, it leads them logically toward a more right-leaning path, certainly an anti-progressive path. And that's what we're seeing now being reflected statistically. The seed's been planted and they're going, well, you know what? I don't like Republicans. The, the, the polls show they still don't like Republicans, certainly not in some kind of significant majority, but they don't support Democrats. And that's a huge shift for people under 30. Now, it, all this stands to reason, and we're gonna have more happy people. Probably millennials will be the happiest generation maybe ever. Boy Scouts notwithstanding, they're gonna have some PTSD. <laughs> they're gonna be huddled in a corner oh, somewhere. Totally screwed. But think about that, that conservatives are happier. It stands to reason. Everyone can think of their favorite grandparent. Yeah. Not all of them, but one of them, or your uncle, your aunt, you know, a steady hand, healthy family, stability, compassion. It's pretty hard to picture a 65-year-old screeching feminist or pansexual socialist bitching about privilege or proper pronouns. They wouldn't be a happy person. Yeah. <laughs> That's not someone who's getting around on the walker in the old folks. It's home. funny because you, you think when you think about liberals and progressives, you think of like, oh, they just live without any boundaries. They must be happier. But you realize it's just a, it's a fruitless endeavor. It's like kids who aren't disciplined. Yeah. Yeah. I'm not saying that you need an authoritarian dictator, but what I'm no. saying is people who try and break down all gender norms, all moral norms, they don't live in, in this, this, this boundaryless land of happiness. Yeah. Mm -hmm. They actually find themselves directionless. Yeah, in a prison of their own making. <laughs> Well, no, not a prison, an open field of their own. Damn it, with you and the analogy. That's the prison. You just take in. it and you go the opposite. Sometimes. Yeah, open field, prison. Sometimes. Same thing. Let's, the brain, the wire to the mouth. It was metaphorical. This even. is why older generations, and we always, kids always used to roll their eyes. Think about everything else your parents and they taught you when you were really little to brush your teeth twice a day. That's just mom. Don't eat gummy bears before, but that's just mom. Yeah. Right, used to roll your eyes. Older generations have been trying to teach young people to be don't chew, more concerned. Don't swallow your gum. I'm still crap in the mouth. Yeah. I don't have a colon. I don't even know how. <laughs> That works. He defies science. Maybe <laughs> Dr. Jordan, he's a doctor, he can answer us that. But that's what they've been trying to teach generations of, of, of young people for hundreds of years as they roll their eyes to try and be maybe a little bit more reasonable, maybe a little bit more questioning, maybe a little bit more rational. And man, looking at the statistics, I mean, if, if, if you young progressives, and we'll have Jordan Peterson to talk about this after this, if you could only know now what you'll know then, I laughed at all his words I thought he was a toxic man Taught me worldly ways It'll show you and it'll teach you Before you even know But truth is blind and you soon will find That you don't even know I wish that I knew what I know now When I was younger I wish that I knew what I know now But I was dumber The tax man's such a greedy blow Steal your dough away Your paycheck's cut in half again All given to the state To come on strong And it ain't too long For it's spent on useless crap They'll rob you blind And you soon will find That you were raped again When 
LGBT, that's AIP, cause a guy slapped on some tits. Your preferred pronouns are zero and Z, and no one gives a shit. Oh, young grandson, there's nothing I can say. It's how you learn that you're a dick, and that's the hardest way. Ooh la la, ooh la la. I wish that I knew what I know now When I was younger I wish that I knew what I know now But I was dumber I wish that I knew what I know now When I was younger I wish that I knew what I know now But I was an asshole Glad to have our next. Some might call him the wizard. The wizard. He's the whiz. He's the whiz. Uh, big fan of him. We've had him. You know, we wrote about him a long time ago uh, at lottowithcutter.com. Then I saw him. He was appearing. He, I think he appeared on Joe Rogan's show. Uh -huh. Then our show within the same couple of days. And now he's everywhere. And I'm proud to hopefully say that we played a part in his success somewhat. He's helped a lot of young men and women out there. You know him. He's a doctor. You can follow him on the Twitter at Jordan B. Peterson. And, uh, of course, right now there's 12 Rules for Life. This is his new book, number one on Amazon, last time I checked. And you get a 25% uh, discount code at selfauthoring.com with the promo code Crowder. Doc Jordan Peterson, how are you, sir? I'm quite well. How are you doing? I am doing. What's that? See, you always you, you smirk when you come on the show like you expect, like there's some insult you have in the back of your mind. But you're being too, you're too high on the agreeable scale to let it out. Well, you got to be on your guard with comedians, you know. Yeah, well, you never know what they're, they're going to do. I guess that's true. Usually ends up just being some form of uh, public self-humiliation. So I think you're safe here. Um, but you're looking good. You're looking, you're looking golden. Every time I see you, you Dapper. look more and more like Gadsad. So I don't know what's going on. Maybe it's your, your recent uh, trip. <laughs> that's something in the Canadian air. Yes. Well, you look, you look happy. You look healthy. People have talked about that recently. And, and we ta we've been talking about this for a while. People kept requesting it, doing the self-assessment, uh, the, the questionnaire with other members of the team since I did it yep. myself. So we've had everyone uh, do it. Not everyone is here, Courtney uh, and Gerald, but we have uh, Sven Computer and Not Gay Jerry did their questionnaires. And uh, I, I was wondering what, what, you know, looking over them, if there are any surprises or questions or things that stick out at you. Again, that's self well, Shall we start out? Shall we start out with Sven? Let's look at, yes, let's look at Sven Computer. Okay, what, what, what was uh, okay. most surprising there? Well, he's got a pretty masculine temperament. Really? I don't know if that's surprising. Yeah, well, the, the, so... He's rather low in agreeableness, mm -hmm. and he's rather, uh, he's rather, let me just check here. Does that sound like you, Sven Computer? <laughs> that sounds like me. My suspicions are, you can ask him that, and he's also low in neuroticism. Yeah, so the- Oh, so like, he's a liar. 
No, 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 that's not it. That's not it. Unless he's low in neuroticism, Sven? What did you do? Did you Google how to beat the test? No, it's just, it's just the stereotypical I, German result. People. I don't think I've ever seen anyone less neurotic outside of myself. But yeah, so, so people who are low, low, in, low in agreeableness, mm -hmm. uh, women are generally higher than men in agreeableness. Sure. And so if you pick a random woman and a random man out of the crowd and you bet on who was lower in agreeableness. If you bet it was the man, you'd be right 60% of the time. So that's about the difference. And uh, less agreeable people are more competitive and more blunt. And they can, be, they can be harsh in their assessments of others. They tend to do what they want to do. Mm. Um, and they're tough negotiators. Okay. And they also tend to make pretty good managers because they're hard to push around. Okay. Although they can, they, it might also be a slightly more difficult for them depending on how disagreeable they are, to work in teams mm. because they're not necessarily as cooperative. But Sven is also very, lo very low in neuroticism. Neuroticism is a negative emotion dimension. And people who are low in neuroticism don't experience much anxiety. They don't tend to avoid things because they're afraid. They tend not to be easily upset. They, they tend to keep their heads pretty stably under almost all circumstances. So Sven might appear to be relatively easy to get along with. Even no, 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 no. That's not the issue no, here. The issue no. here is the neuroticism. One need only watch Tuesday's episode to see. Sven, how did you beat this test? I, I just... You're nervous. Okay. You make me nervous. I'm sorry. Just right now, the overlays. I don't have... Beep, beep, beep. I don't have the overlays ready for Jordan Peterson. I don't know. I'm going to jump off the bridge. I'm going to jump off the bridge. <laughs> <laughs> That's Sven computer. He beat the test. Well... I don't, I don't know what to say about that. He's okay. high in extroversion, so he's going to show quite a lot of positive emotion. That's I true. imagine he can get excited about things. Um, he should be a good person for you to be working with because he's high in conscientiousness. He is. And so that should make him dutiful, reliable, industrious, likely to do what he says he's going to do, likely to show up in time. My suspicions are he doesn't miss much work. Um, Does that at all concern you, though, when you, when you tie that in with the fact that he's, um, he's German? You know, industriousness well, with certain people. Sometimes we want to curb that. Yeah, well, you know, those Germans, you have to watch out for them. He is high in orderliness, which is a good predictor of conservative, a conservative proclivity, by the way. Oh, that makes so, sense. Yeah. And then with regards to openness, which is the creativity dimension, he is moderately high. Yeah. So particularly high in intellect. So he's interested in ideas a lot. He's quite a has a relatively rare temperament, I would say, because um, someone who's creative like that, uh, but also orderly, that's not that common. And so that would also make him kind of a strange political animal because the higher openness would tilt him a bit towards a liberal viewpoint. Right. But the, but the high orderliness would tilt him towards a conservative viewpoint. Is he a libertarian? You're not really a libertarian, not are you? Really. You're more of a traditional conservative. I would say that that, that makes sense. I mean, I, ha I had that same kind of... Um I guess I was a bit of an anomaly with the test where I had very high orderliness and conscientiousness, but openness, right. particularly compassion, which was funny. Politeness, I think I was, what, the b bottom 2%? And then I was, but like 94% for compassion. So yeah, well, it's pretty hard, it's pretty hard to be a, compassion, a polite comedian. Yes, but right, I feel you bad. You have to say whatever you say. Right, but I feel bad when I insult people afterwards. Right. <laughs> um, you know what that asks? I, I'm curious about Courtney, where she lined up on that. But let's see, not gay Jared. Well, any surprises to you about not gay Jared when he took his?
quiz. And, and I know, by the way, for people out there, selfauthoring.com, you can take these, these quizzes. It really is helpful to kind of look at a team dynamic and see how you're able to motivate certain people, what it is they need, how they communicate. It's a fascinating. It's kind of like love languages. Kind of, it's very valuable. Basically. Yeah. Only I hate you. Yeah. Um, okay. So let's see. <laughs> let's see what's happening with not gay Jared. He's also quite disagreeable. <laughs> we have an entire office of disagreeable yeah. people. Well, it's not surprising given what you do. Yes. Right. I mean, it's not like you guys aren't exactly going out to make friends, right? You're going out to satirize and to comment and to poke fun at and and so forth and. There's, there's certainly obviously a role for that, but it isn't surprising that and you, you can't be too concerned about whether or not you're going to offend people or step on their toes precisely. Hmm. So, yeah, so if there were 100 people in a room, Jared would be less agreeable than 84 of them. So <laughs> Really? Yeah. You're less very agreeable than me. Yeah. That surprises yeah. me. It less, surprises me. Less, less compassionate than you as well. That doesn't surprise so, me at all. Not Jared yeah. doesn't share. Probably likes, to torture, <laughs> probably likes to torture cats. That's, that's, that he's got the cat torture. <laughs> yep, absolutely. I'm not even ashamed of that he ate, one. He ate live crickets on the live stream, and he had no problem with it. That doesn't, that doesn't surprise. I, it does surprise me that you're less agreeable than me, but I, I would have thought you were higher in politeness and lower in compassion than myself. So that, that seems about No, he's not, he's not high in politeness. Not, less <laughs> polite than 90 out of 100 people. He's very high in conscientiousness. Are you on my so, results? Are these my results? Are these his results? Okay, George. This is, this is also good staffing decision because he's also extremely high in conscientiousness. So it looks like he's a very reliable person. Industrious, 85th percentile. Orderliness, very high, 95th percentile. Your, your uh, studio must be spotless. I, th I think you might have the wrong one. I think I don't think this is my profile. I, I think, think they might be mislabeled. He might be. They might be mislabeled. Maybe he's reading Sven's. I have no idea. Doesn't really matter. But the point is, you're fired. <laughs> um, uh, who who uh, who came out with the highest IQ? If you look at those, did you did you see who it was? Oh, there's no IQ measure in this. There's intellect, which is interest in ideas. Okay. But you have to take a you have to take a technical test for for IQ. <clears throat> okay. If you have a high IQ, you tend to be higher in openness. There's a correlation between okay. them because it's, it's hard to be interested in ideas. You know, I mean, it requires a certain level of intelligence to be truly interested in ideas, obviously. And so you'd see that under intellect. So, okay. but his intellect is high, uh, 78th percentile hmm. and openness a little bit lower. So less interested in, his, in the aesthetic end of the creativity spectrum, but high in, in interest in ideas. Right. And again, that makes sense given what you guys do. So it, your, it, your pers personality profiles match up quite like quite nicely with with your chosen profession. Now, since, disagreeable, since, extroverted. Yes. Yeah. Well, <laughs> it doesn't sound good when you say it when you put it that way, Dr. Peterson. But when you look at these sort of you look at these self-assessment quizzes, um, obviously, we don't want it to be like 1984. We don't want it to be like communist mm. China. Or we're going near this person. So this is what you're you know, you're relegated to this for the rest of your life. What, what's the real value here if you were to express it to young people? And obviously, you've helped a lot of them with your with your uh, your, your 12 steps, your book and uh, self-authoring. But what's what's pivotal for them to know about themselves, you think, and how they conduct? Well, their life? you should you should match your ambitions to your temperament. Right. You know, if you're extroverted, then you should be working with people because you're not going to be happy working on your own. If you're introverted, you need a job where you can take a break from people because introverted people tend to get exhausted by social contact. And so it's hard for them to do something like sales. Um, right. If you're if you're high in neuroticism, then you're going to look for a job that has more security. You're going to want to take fewer risks. If you're high in agreeableness, you want to take care of people. Right. If you're low in agreeableness, you tend to want to work with things.
Right. So, yeah, and if you're conscientious, if you're high in conscientiousness, then that makes you a good manager and administrative type. Right. Um, if you're high in openness, then you're entrepreneurial and creative. And so, and those are, it's not like they're exactly fixed, those traits. Right. They can be moved to some degree, but they're very strong proclivities. And it's much easier to match you to the job than, or, or match the job to you than it is for you to ch transform yourself to fit the job. Well, let me ask so you that. That brings up an interesting question I have. You know, there's sort of this debate where people talk about neuroplasticity. And then you have some people who say IQ is completely fixed. You can't change it. Some people mm -hmm. say, well, there are some things you, you can, can lower it. You can lower it. Some, I've heard some people argue, I've heard some doctors argue that improving your short-term memory can improve your scores. But comparing that versus the neuroplasticity, the ability for the brain to sort of uh, form, I guess you would say new neurons, neuro, new neural pathways so that you can better improve behavioral patterns. That's a big part of what you do. So how do you, how do you as a person learn where to cut that off, that this is my proclivity versus this is what I want to change and I'm capable of doing that? Well, the problem is if you're introverted and you want to learn to to be more social, you have to learn it from the bottom up. <clears throat> you have to learn the micro skills that go along with it. It's very effortful to move your personality. And with IQ, you can raise there's there's you can think of IQ as breaking into two subcomponents. There's a kind of a rate of learning measure, which would be fluid IQ. And there's a, a measure called crystallized IQ, which is like an assessment of how much you actually know. You can raise your crystallized IQ by becoming more educated. So if you're if you if you want to get smarter, let's say, practically speaking, it's hard to change the rate at which you learn. No one's really been able to figure out how to do that. Mm. Um, you know, there are these companies that claim that if you do their cognitive exercises, that you'll show an improvement in overall intelligence. But my my sense is the evidence for that is very weak. Right now. But but education does raise your crystallized IQ. And so I wonder, though, how much of that could be learning almost how to learn. For example, I never learned how to learn in school. I never really learned math uh, my entire 10th and 11th grade. I never opened a textbook. I spent four hours with a tutor who sat me down and said, OK, hold on a second. This is how you have to look at these numbers. This is how yep. you look at trigonometry. And then I went. Boom, four sessions, and I was able to do what I hadn't done all year. Same thing with jujitsu or boxing or any kind of sporting endeavor or doing this show. For me, there's always a, a learning curve to the ability to learn that activity. So could that well, so imagine? Well, imagine that two people have an equally competent teacher. Okay, the person with the higher IQ will learn faster. Right. But if you have a good teacher, that's going to be helpful to both of you. So... Obviously, the manner in which material is presented is 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 of crucial importance. Right. It can be presented badly or well. I had the same experience with you when I was taking statistics in university. Mm -hmm. I was having a hard time with it, and I sat down with the tutor for about six hours, and you know he he laid clear for me a variety of things that I hadn't learned, yeah. and, and made it very straightforward. So the and and there is evidence too in the in the teaching profession that conscientious teachers in particular, I'm talking about at the elementary and junior high and high school level, can have a marked positive effect on their students. Right. Um, although teachers tend not to be selected on that basis, which is really too bad because we do know how to select better teachers. Sometimes they're punished on oh. that basis. My senior English teacher, his <clears throat> grades were too high. It was really, his name was, um, uh, well, I, you know, he may not want his name being used in the show, so I won't use it. But I remember uh, he was very, very clear. This was my English professor in, uh, professor, teacher, senior year. You read a book every semester. Mm -hmm. You had a written test on reading comprehension of the book. You had to write an essay, a literary essay in the book. Then you had one oral, a persuasive essay, and then you had 
one other test that you do a written test that was more so a test on the English language, you know, writing skills. And then there was 10% of your grade that was simply writing every single day in a journal. That was it. You knew this every single semester. And I remember his first two semesters, all of his students were engaged. I mean, kids who typically were not engaged in class did very well. I think the average grade was maybe something like 85%. And the administration told him, your grades are too high. So he lowered them five points for the next semester just because they had him do that. That to me seemed like the, seemed antithetical to what a teacher should want to do. As a teacher, you should want every student to get 100% at the end of the year in a perfect world. Yeah, well, it's hard to assess teaching proficiency. And so we tend to do it very badly. Mm. And that, that really is too bad. You asked earlier, too, why, why these results are useful. Um, they're useful. It's useful to also know the results for your partner, mm. you know, because then you know what motivates them. So, for example, if you have a partner who, it's, who is not particularly engaged in novel and exciting things, it could e easily be that they're low in openness or low in extroversion. You need to understand that that's part of their temperament and not them just being arbitrarily difficult to get along with. Right. But it also helps you motivate people and understand them. Like if you're married to an introvert, <coughs> if you're married to a, sorry. No, it's okay, you caught it from me. It's, it can even caught be caught apparently. by Skype. Yeah, yeah. yeah I should have never, should have never come on this damn no. show. <laughs> So like if there it is, that was a smirk at the beginning. You were waiting. I got it now. Okay, yeah, let it out. Yeah. Let it out. Well, if so, if you're if you're in a relationship, there's going to be places where you have conflict because of your temperament, mm -hmm. and understanding that the other person's actually different from you can depersonalize that to some degree. So, for example, if you're an extrovert and you're married to an introvert, you need to understand that the introvert actually can't tolerate too much social contact. It exhausts them, and so when your partner has had enough of the party or even enough of your house guests and needs to go be by themselves for a while. It's not because they're being mean or ignorant or 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 difficult to get along with or any of those things. It's just that they are wired so that they need time to recoup by themselves. Yeah. And if you're an, a disagreeable person and you're married to an agreeable person, one of the things you have to learn is to not be too pushy and harsh because the agreeable person won't do a very good job of negotiating for themselves. Now, they'll do a really good job of taking care of you, and they might do a really good job of taking care of children, although they could they could also foster their dependency, which is the downside of, of agreeableness. Yeah. But it can alert you to the fact that you may have to modify your behavior to take the other person's temperament into account. So how do I just convince my wife on the openness, like the, the Vietnamese sex hammock? Uh, what, what's the, is there like a process? That's on the, that's on the perversion scale. That's on the perversion. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 And now see, I, I'm I, seeing I you high in the judgmental scale, Dr. Peterson. Yeah. Now have my I, uh, very, very high, very high. Uh, I'm okay. judging you as, <laughs> yes. as I sit here. All of you, in fact. Sweetheart, I'm sorry. You. I'm sorry. Yes, yeah, so this, this is not a judgment-free zone. But and now you've made that public. She's going to be very happy with you. <laughs> I don't even know what's a thing. It's just a colloquial. Now that's point. exactly it. You're impolite. You make that comment about your wife, and now you feel guilty about it because you're all Nailed it. Nailed it. But, but on a serious note, and then we have to go after this. Um, you talk about this as, as, as couple, you know, coupling and also in, in choosing yep. your jobs and your profession. Yep. But this also, it ties back to what we were talking about yesterday, and we'll talk about with uh, our, our next guest. Um, this ties back to it could have disastrous results 
with the Boy Scouts and putting in girls and not giving young men the ability to draw away, to pull away, to have some recharge time, especially when they're young and they don't know where they are on the agreeableness scale. They don't necessarily understand the gender differences and we're throwing them in a pup tent out there together telling them they're all the same. Um, what we're being taught right now, what's being taught in schools is the exact opposite of this, that everyone is interchangeable. Well, look, look, one thing we do have to clear up here and maybe we can stop with this. You hear a lot of well, a lot of nonsense, and I've had a lot of criticism directed towards me for making right. these claims too. Look, the scientific evidence with regards to gender differences in personality and interest is quite clear, and it's very, very reliable and valid, and I'll, I'll tell you why. So basically, the big differences between men and women are on agreeableness and, and negative emotion, neuroticism. So women are higher in agreeableness and they're higher in negative emotion. And I suspect the reason for that is, is that they have to be strongly predisposed to take care of infants. Right. And so you have to be somewhat self-sacrificing and you have to be sensitive to distress because otherwise you're not going to respond to a helpless infant fast enough and in a self-sacrificing enough manner. Now, that isn't necessarily a wiring pattern that makes you all that capable of dealing with rather rough adult men. Mm -hmm. But there's always trade-offs in terms of your specialization. Okay, so now how do we know that these differences exist? Well, the first is this temperament personality model was computer derived, statistically derived. It, it wasn't based on any a priori ideological theory. theory. It was extracted out from massive surveys of descriptive phrases and adjectives and sentences applied to tens of thousands of people in many, many different countries. So it's been replicated cross-culturally. It's a very stable model. Right. So, and what we've, what's found is that those differences exist cross-culturally. Okay, but that doesn't demonstrate that the differences have a biological basis. They could still be cultural. So scientists did the next experiment, which was, okay, so imagine that you rank order countries by how egalitarian their social policies are. So countries like the Scandinavian countries are right up at the top. Right. Okay, so then the hypothesis would be if the personality differences were sociocultural in origin, then as societies became more egalitarian in their social policies, the differences between men and women would shrink. Right. Stands to reason. Okay, that's exactly the opposite of what happened. Mm -hmm. The more egalitarian the society, the larger the personality differences, <clears throat> the larger the personality differences between men and women. Now, and you might ask, well, why is that reliable? Maybe right-wing psychologists invented this data to push their agenda forward. Yes, the throngs but what of I'd them. like to point out, well, there are no right-wing psychologists, <laughs> right? Right. I'm dead serious about that. Yeah. The people who put forward these hypotheses weren't attempting to demonstrate that there were temperament differences between men and women. They were just looking. And it wasn't in accord with their desired worldview, A, to find that there were differences, and B, to find that as societies became more egalitarian, the differences got larger. Right. No one expected that, but that's how it turned out. That is fascinating, Captain. And I know I've heard you talk about that, that there's an inverse correlation directly there. And uh, it, it, it really is remarkable. And that's why we are in some uncharted territory here, kind of like we were with feminism in the 70s. And we've seen some results now, some chickens coming home to roost. We're seeing it go a little bit further now where there are no more separated boys clubs Weird and girls clubs. And we'll see 15 years from now how that works out. Okay, it is selfauthoring.com. The discount is 25% off with Crowder. The book is 12 Rules. Uh, I was saying for, it's. I was saying of life. It's for life. Twelve for rules life. for life. Learn about lobsters and antidepressants. It's fascinating stuff. Uh, Doctor Jordan Peterson, thank you so much, and I'm glad to see you. Uh, you're, you're looking. You're looking very dapper. Thanks.
Thanks. We'll talk. Yeah, I'm you. feeling quite a lot better. So, All right. great for that. A little good to see you guys. Dance, yep. Because you're feeling good. Little, little, little dance. It's about that time on the show where Human Boy should do the library for Mug Club. But it's too late. Yeah, but he's just going to exploit old Hopper. A lot of withcrowded.com slash mug club, it's only $99 for people, or 69 if the students, veterans, or active military, and I bet you if they knew that it's used to fix my leg and buy me all the cheeses, that they wouldn't have any problem joining, but some pe- maybe some people know and they don't care. I'm so tired of people who don't care and don't join at ladderwithcrowded.com slash mug club. I'm so tired. What's going on? Oh, sh- We don't have that much time because Dr. Jordan Peterson loves to hear himself talk. All right, that guy. That guy. guy. Uh, I love to hear our next guy talk. Apparently, he's auditioning for the next Steve Jobs biopic as well. <laughs> you had Ashton Kutcher. Then you had, what's his name? The guy uh, the guy from uh, X-Men. X-Men, yeah. Uh, I always forget that guy's name. Fastbender. Yeah, Fastbender. Michael, Michael Fastbender. And, of course, our next guest, Stefan Molyneux, at Stefan Molyneux, freedomainradio.com. <laughs> and his book is The Art of the Argument, theartoftheargument.com. Stefan, how are you, sir? Uh, I'm very well. I'm very well. How you guys doing? That's, you can hold it up longer. It looked like he was, was like a drive-by. It's a drive-by plugging. Uh, there, we there we go. Art of the argument. And you can go back and watch a long-form interview in which Stefan and I, actually on both of our channels where we it's swapped good. roles yeah. just to argue for the sake of arguing. Stefan, Boy Scouts. We were just talking about this with, with Dr. Jordan Peterson. We've been talking about this week. I know you have some. What, what do you think about the, uh, the, the, the girls' invasion of the Boy Scouts and, of course, the leaders willingly letting them in? We don't, we don't know where this ends. Well, we do know where it ends. It ends generally in social collapse as all gender roles are dissolved and there's no safe spaces for anyone. And, of course, something just came out which talked about how the Girl Guides uh, study says, well, they learn better girls in all girls' Uh, environments led by girls and so on, and you need mentorship, you see, for girls. But boys, apparently, you can just mix and match. Now, I was a Boy Scout, and I went to an all-boys boarding school. I actually think it did me quite a bit of good when it came to masculinity and so on. So the whole point is to keep men away from strong male role models uh, so that they're forever going to be deferential to the ladies. And that's how democracy kind of works these days, or at least lurches from side to side. Well, I'm glad, I mean, I'm glad that you had that in all boys school, but please tell me you had occasionally a co-ed mixer in there. (laughs) Well, I was six when I went, so Uh, it was not number one on my thoughts. But yes, there was a girl's school next door and we we had our mixers. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, these were, these weren't necessarily sanctioned mixers. Um, How, for how long were you a Boy Scout? Stefan, I don't picture the Boy Scout at it all. Was a, it was a couple of years for sure. I mean, and actually it ended up being quite helpful when I ended up working in the bush up north gold panning and prospecting after high school and so on. So, no, I, I did it. I enjoyed it. Uh, I made good friends, enjoyed the camaraderie and the cookouts and the campouts and learning how to tie knots that I couldn't for the life of me remember how to do now. But if I am ever stuck on a sailboat, I probably am totally set. Yes. Um, now, did you do this in Canada, the, the Boy Scouts? When no, you... this was uh, in England. Okay, that's right. I always I always go back and forth on where you were when. Yeah, because it, in Canada, I don't know if you know this, that before Boy Scouts, it's beavers. 
That's that was little, little beaver. The boys were beaver. Yes, that's exactly what it is. The boys' organization was beavers, and that's what I did for two years before Boy Scouts. I didn't know if you were a beaver. Uh, no, I didn't. Uh, I didn't go in that young. But it is really fascinating. This whole question of gender dissolution. Right. And if we're going to say that gender doesn't matter, that is one way of breaking down these barriers, which may actually exist for a reason we may find out only after we've torn them down. But the question is then, if there's really no such thing as gender, if gender is completely fluid, then clearly what we need to do is we need to get rid of all gender-based laws because it's based upon a delusion that there is such a thing as gender. Right. And so if we had, if we believe that redheaded people were fundamentally different from brown-headed people, we may end up with different laws. Once we understand that they're not, then we would need to get rid of laws that would prejudice or benefit or harm one hair color over another. So clearly we need to get rid of all laws based on gender, which means we need to get rid of things like affirmative action for women, equal pay for work of equal value. We need to get rid of set-asides and preferential loans from the federal government to female-headed businesses and so on, because you really can't have it both ways. Don't get me wrong. People love to have it both ways, but rationally, you can't. If you're going to say that gender doesn't matter, then it needs to not matter in the law, or we need to take a big combine harvester to all of the weeds of gen uh, gender preference legislation that have erupted over the past 50 years. That's a, that's a really good point, though. I will say um, redheads in the Lateral Carter offices have to use a different drinking fountain, but that's because it's my house, my rules. Mm. Um, when it comes to the gender issue, you know, on the flip side, I know you were, you at one point were more liberal and more libertarian. So I'm just using this uh, kind of as, a, as a, a mental exercise. Dennis Prager talked about this when he talked about same-sex marriage. And he said, my concern with same-sex marriage, this was a long time ago. I remember Perez Hilton and him debating on CNN. He said, what you're doing here when you're calling it marriage, because at this point it wasn't about, it wasn't about civil unions. It was about marriage. He said, my worry is that you are declaring men and women fundamentally interchangeable. He said, I don't believe that two fathers can give everything to a child that a mother and a father can. And I don't believe that two mothers can. He said, I think that's a fundamental difference. And I think to begin to dissolve those lines is dangerous. And everyone called him a hate. Dennis Prager. Dennis Prager, a hate speaker back then. Whether you agree with it or not, to me, it was always the most compelling argument at the time. Looking back, Regardless of where people, st can we see that as maybe, ah, once we went over there, it was tough to go pack, back past that line. We've, we've declared them to be fundamentally interchangeable. Well, and physically and psychologically, that does not appear to be the case. Right. Biologically, in terms of psychological testings, as I'm sure Jordan Peterson has pointed out, there are clusters of personality traits that aggregate more to the female, and there are clusters of personality traits that aggregate more towards uh, the male. And they're not going away anytime soon. They're universal across cultures. They're universal across countries and continents. And therefore, to imagine that they're just going to vanish, this is the old thing that the left generally does, is they say human nature is a complete blank slate. We can wipe it clean and we can de design a society based upon ideology rather than on biology, which is kind of funny because they tend to be rather secular and very much into Darwin. And Darwin would say, of course, that men and women have evolved for different roles. And, and that doesn't mean there's lots of overlap. It doesn't mean that anyone's better or worse. It's just different. Like if you've got two pieces of a jigsaw puzzle to, to finish the puzzle, you don't say which one is better. They're both necessary and equal. But this idea, like they tried this in the Soviet Union, right, where they say, we're going to design a system that doesn't rely on humans' desire for profit. And it's like, well, um, we kind of need that <laughs> to have a system that's going to function. This idea that you can just scrub you know, 200,000 years of evolution free or billions of years of evolution going further back, that you can just scrub all of that away and, and just design things from scratch. It, it, it is a fantasy and it doesn't work. And how many times it needs to not work seems to be pretty much an infinity. I mean, just look at what's going on in Venezuela these days. We don't need a system based on profit. Hey, look at that. You get to hunt pigeons with a stick in the sewer. <laughs>
<laughs> I don't know. I don't know if they're hunting him with a stick. I, I'm pretty sure they have the slingshot there, Steph. And I won't allow misrepresentations on my show. But, um, that, you know, you've talked quite a bit about cultural appropriation. This is something that I've thought about. Could be, maybe it's totally invalid. You can let me know here what you think about this. If they say, okay, gender is largely cultural, sociological, the two have kind of be become interchangeable now, certainly as we relate to the transgender community. It's culture, gender. Okay, then we have to acknowledge, we remove biology, let's say gender is, is cultural. There have been cultural norms like the Boy Scouts for men. They are Boy Scouts. So that was culturally ingrained, fine. But then how is it not? cultural appropriation for women to say, by the way, we're now going in the Boy Scouts. Well, on, that's, that's a part of male culture and you're appropriating it. Well, I mean, it is a whole historical thing and it's the old argument that boys and girls need different things to mature. This comes a lot out of the increasing power of single mother culture. There is a, a single mother culture has a big problem if it turns out that boys need male role models and not the kind of fly by night guy sleeping on the couch because he can't date someone other than a single mother kind of guy, but a steady, dedicated father who's there, you know, protector and provider, all of that kind of good stuff. Now, if boys do need fathers in their lives, then single mother culture, the welfare state, all of that giant mess has been a massive disaster that has hugely harmed children. Now, Feminists say that women need role models. They need role models in, in science. Uh, well, how on earth could a woman figure out if she's supposed to be a scientist or allowed to be a scientist unless she sees 10 female scientists? They need mentorship, according to feminists. Women need mentorship in business. They need mentorship as girls. They need girls to show them the way and to show them what's possible. But then when it comes to boys, there's this weird blank that happens. It's like, okay, well, if girls need mentorship from mature adult females, don't boys need mentorship from mature adult males? Yeah. Now, of course, if we accept that they do, single mother culture, single mother subsidization through the welfare state has been a giant mistake that has perhaps irrevocably harmed generations of boys at the moment. I think it's a very important point, and it's one that we'll have to end on. If you are correct, uh, and in fact, boys need a father, and girls for that matter, need a father, then Jennifer Aniston's character in Friends was just a selfish bitch. That is Stefan <laughs> Molyneux, Art of the Argument, Art of the Argument, theartoftheargument.com. Thank you, Stefan, for stopping by. We'll have another long-form conversation soon. Take care, man. All the best. Shoot I feel pretty right here, right off this.
I gotta be on the mic. Because Nakajira wasn't there. Ooh. And Hopper just lay there like a slug. Oh, look at him. He's not a very helpful producer, is he? No, he's pretty much the worst. Fortunately, all the sponsors who are, who are c coming and banging on the show's door right now, they don't want Hopper. They, want, they Hopper. want him to read for their products. He's their, uh, their, their Hank. Thank you to Doc Peterson and to Stefan Mall. Cover for me. Good covering. <laughs> intelligent thoughts. Yep. Uh, Jared. Uh, so good at that. This stupid cough. I don't know. I don't know. The stupid bronchitis. And it's, it's just, I hate all the Boy. things. Um, you know, one thing I want, and we have a, uh, I don't know exactly. I'm, I'm going to keep my words limited here because if you can hear, I'm losing my voice. Um, thank you so much to everyone who's, who's tuned in. Thank you to our wonderful guests. I know Jordan Peterson is on tour, by the way, speaking right now. Uh, Ruben, I think, is with him mm. doing some stuff. I don't exactly know what he's doing. Uh, there are some big protests, some NRA conventions and stuff going on this weekend, which That's we may or may not ruckus. attend. Or send interns to attend. Who knows? You don't know. We're everywhere. Like a ghost. <laughs> I, like a ghost. One thing, you know, we did this, this self-assessment with Dr. Peterson. I did it before. You can go back and watch uh, uh, the, full, uh, the full segment. I got a lot of feedback, remember, on that. And I actually had an email recently, which is what kind of reminded me of this. Saying, well, why would you do that? Why would you, uh, why would you do that segment out there for the world to see? Because, listen... It, yeah, I have I have some neuroticisms, I have some neuroses, I have some issues, and I've been pretty. I try to be pretty open about um, certain mental health things that I've that I've struggled with, and everyone does to one degree or another. Mental health doesn't mean that you're broken. Just like dealing with health, being in control of your health, period, can be as simple as going to the gym. Right now, I'm not physically healthy. Sometimes it, it ebbs and flows, and that's one thing. A lot of people only. I'm going to talk about it when something goes, when there's a Heath Ledger, right? When there's a Philip Seymour Hoffman. And that's not really, that's not all encompassing of mental health. Um, and I think it's important. I think it, I really do recommend that you read Dr. George Peterson's books because there's this, there's this um, ill-conceived notion that the right doesn't believe that words can hurt, that sticks and stones can break my bones. Mm -hmm. But words, I don't believe that. I've never claimed that. No. Words can absolutely hurt, okay? Certainly when they're from people who you... Uh, think highly of their opinion. Yeah, people who are in positions of authority. Mm -hmm. um, words can start wars, okay? Now, that's not to say that someone calling you a name is the same as somebody shooting you, right? But, and that kind of lends itself here to this, this bigger problem we have. We have an entire generation of people who've warped words. Their meaning, who've, who've warped the, the, the context of words, the magnitude of words. One, on a simple note, when people say, that's awesome. Uh, that's awesome. No, listen. Awesome is the Sistine Chapel, okay? Not Awesome is not the recent Star Wars film, okay? Awesome is not your fidget spinner. I just, I know, but it's, it's lost all meaning when someone says awesome, awesome is supposed to be something that's awe-inspiring. Just like, I know Courtney's pet peeve is literally. Um, a lot of words have lost meaning. We have a generation of people who've not been raised. When you, you, you look at that in tandem with no personal responsibility, a lot of young men, a lot of young women who don't know the difference between words that really do hurt, and there are words that hurt, and ones you ignore. People don't know the difference between word injuries and ouchies. You've heard me talk about that. You hear athletes talk about that. Athletes train through physical ouchies hurt all the time. An injury is different. And there are words that can injure. There are words that can maim. I've, I've had those. When I was fired unceremoniously at 12 or 13 from Arthur because my voice changed. They don't typically come from uh, Twitter eggs. No, no, they don't typically come from Twitter eggs. So sometimes they hit a note and you're like, oh, <laughs> that's right. I do have gray hair in my sideburns. Son of a bitch, Twitter egg. That's one for you. So your words, um, they, they can damage. But you, you need to take charge of your words. Everyone needs to take charge of their words. And this idea, though, that comes from left, we were talking about this before. That's why leftism kind of lends itself well, I think, to um, socialism, to young liberals. Because it's, well, if I had all the money, 
If I had all the money, I, I would get things right. Everything would be perfect. The same thing that you see now with the left and control of words and hate speech laws, as you see with, with Trudeau and candidates. Well, if I had control of all the words, if I could just be in charge of words, then we could fix the problem. It's childish. We see that same mentality, of course. We see that same mentality in children versus adults, right? We see it with, with kids. Well, if I, if I had my way, I could eat brownies all night and strawberry syrup, and I'd, I'd be perfectly fine. I wouldn't have to. If I had my way, I'd do X, Y, and Z, and the world would be better. We see it with people who choose security over risk and reward. We see armchair quarterbacks, or sometimes comparing, for example, union, empl union employees with business owners, independent contractors, people who work on commission. Oh, if, if I were in charge, I'd do it this way and, and it would be perfect. If I, but you, believe you me, if I, if I were in charge of it, well, guess what? Like I said earlier, in this case here, I am in charge. It's never do this, do that, and things fall into place. Things are never perfect. When you're in charge of other people, when you're held responsible for, it could be in this case, I'm talking about a business. It could be when you're held responsible for a family, for a platoon, for yourself, for crying out loud. You learn really quickly to take inventory of serious damage or nicks and bruises. When you enter the arena enough, when you use your body enough, when you use your mind enough, when you're using your language enough, you learn to tell the difference between injuries and ouchies. And so why do I talk this, why is this important? Because I don't want people to go out there and say, oh, Stephen believes in free speech. He, doesn't, he believes that words are inconsequential and you, should, you shouldn't fear. There should be no reverential treatment of words. No, there absolutely should. And I understand I get emails from a lot of people, particularly one gentleman this week. This is, we kind of talked about some of these issues with Jordan Peterson. I hope you know who you are. With mental health issues, words can hurt. I understand that that does not fall on deaf ears. Sometimes people think it's, it's not lost on me. Words absolutely can hurt. I know that they can hurt. Even flippant comments like, you're, 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 oh man, you're not, you're not right in the head. You're, you're crazy. Sometimes for people who have serious mental health issues, that bothers them. But guess what? That's an ouchie. That's an ouchie. And I really hope, I think a big component to this, it's a big component to, we talk about these generational gaps. We've talked about this. Boys who, who, who didn't grow up with brothers. Yeah. Right? Or often girls. You'll find if you didn't grow up with sisters and you get married or something and your, your, your wife, sometimes she, she, you know, you're, she, you're roughhousing a little bit and she, she pushes you. Mm -hmm. right? She's, and you're like, ow, oh, that was really hard. Or boys didn't have brothers. They, they just go to, they don't realize that that's not how you handle these situations because they never learn the difference between an ouchie and an injury. Mm -hmm. You know, I had a brother. It's like you, you I had one friend. I, he had no brothers. I kind of shoved him as a kid. He came back and he kicked me in the shin until it drew blood. <laughs> I'm like, what the hell's wrong with you? Whoa, I'm just doing the same thing. That's the same situation. That's the same scenario now with young people and words or things that they feel harm them. Feel harm them. Not all grievances are of equal value. They're not even necessarily all legitimate. So I understand it. Listen, words can absolutely hurt. I don't want to see people out there on the right act as though they don't. But it's important with your life experience to take inventory when something bothers you. And Jordan Peterson talks about this. Go, you know, do the Terminator reset. Okay, what's going on here? Kind of like you do with your body as you get older every single morning. Now that I've hit 30, every time I wake up, I go, okay, how's my knee? How's my lower back? What's going on with my elbows? Is it humid today? All right, I'll take inventory. Know what's an ouchie. Differentiate that between an injury. And then take those ouchies and make them hurt. For the other people, use them. Jiu-jitsu the ouchies. <laughs> Talk to you next week.